Hey, Scott Walker here. Thanks so much for joining us on our podcast. You can't recall courage. What another amazing week. I mean, 2020 is the year that will be, well, unforgettable. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Thinking about uh, the two town halls taking the place of what was supposed to be the second of the Commission on Presidential Debates debates in a town hall format. Last week, they said they couldn't have it because the president had tested positive for COVID, and yet ABC and NBC, respectively, held town hall sessions with a moderator by the network and everyday American uh, ordinary citizens asking questions in a town hall format, presumably very much like they would have had they been a part of the second debate as part of the series of three debates for the presidential candidates and two, or excuse me, one for the candidates for vice president uh, as as uh, originally agreed to by the Commission on Presidential Debates. What a joke the commission's become. I, I fear they probably have forever, at least into the far future, screwed up what had been at least somewhat. Many would argue in the past, particularly the way Mitt Romney was treated in that second debate. We've seen it in others uh, in the past as well. But I, I still yearn for the days of Jim Lehrer, where you really didn't even think about the moderator. It was really just a real discussion between the candidates. Um, amazingly, not just the way that original format was uh, between Biden and Trump, and certainly I think the candidates, particularly the president, admittedly, even though I clearly support him over Joe Biden, uh, was uh, so aggressive it was hard to keep keep any sort of uh, order there. But the way that even in the midst of all that, the moderator, Chris Wallace, seemed to be, I don't think it's a stretch to say it seemed to be more like a two-on-one. Then you get the vice presidential debate process where you've got the uh, Biden-Harris camp claiming that now they wanted... Uh, not only the candidates be 12 feet apart, but to have plexiglass up there. Again, at the time, I said, what a joke. Uh, the reality is there was no plexiglass in front of Susan Page, and arguably she, if it was truly a health risk, would have been more at risk considering each of the candidates uh, were looking more directly at her than they were at each other. Again, to me, kind of exposed the hypocrisy uh, of the claims put on that. And then immediately after, for them to say that they were somehow not going to have uh, the second debate, that they wanted it virtual as opposed to in-person, which, of course, is just utterly uh, ridiculous. Why, if they could have the candidates that far apart, why they couldn't do it there, or maybe even offer the idea of postponing it for a day or two, or any number of other things. But to have a virtual debate, uh, the president was right to call them out on that. And then the irony of ironies, just last night on NBC with President Trump, in Florida and uh, on ABC with former Vice President Joe Biden. What an amazing series of things. I actually thought the format there, though, was even though they were able to do it supposedly safely, I still thought it was a bit of a joke. Um, On NBC, you've got a moderator. Savannah, I think, did a horrible job for what was billed as a town hall meeting, really ended up being most of the, the time not only consumed by the network's moderator um, at the expense of everyday Americans being able to ask questions, but ridiculous questions. When when people actually did get to ask, they, they asked good and reasonable by and large questions about um, 
small business owner. She asked about getting access to affordable health care and the problem with Obamacare. You had others talking, healthcare professionals talking about what was going to be done to help hospitals and to deal with the pandemic. You had others asking about uh, taxes and corporate taxes and immigration and uh, all sorts of issues that I think are fairly legitimate for voters across the spectrum. They they had a mix of people from people who voted for Trump, the people voting for Biden, the people who were up in the air, the people who lean one way or the other. When they asked questions, by and large, they were pretty reasonable. In contrast, you had a moderator from the network who who spent way too much time at the beginning taking on the president on issues that I think only uh, the bubble of people who live in the New York and Washington, D.C. media bubble actually care about. I mean, everything from the president's personal taxes to I think most Americans are more interested in what's going to happen with their taxes and what's going to happen with the federal government and the size of it and the size of the budget and the size of the debt, size of the deficit. Not going into great detail about an issue that's been discussed over and over again. Or about things like, you know, she asked the president about white supremacists. He said he denounced them. It was pretty clear cut. She talked about masks and he talked about a variety of things. But he said in the end, we're on the same size. Wear a mask. It, it was almost like she didn't want him to really answer it. She just wanted to have a debate about it or any number of other issues out there. And and then what was I thought was worse, finally, when they got to, they actually got to asking questions from people. I thought that would be a part. I always thought this would be an area where the president would excel. And by and large, he did pretty well. He responded nicely to people, even with those who didn't necessarily agree with them. Pretty decent, usually where he got his Irish up, as you say, was when uh, the moderator was uh, inserting herself uh, further into this. And all too often she was uh, trying to interrupt or correct in her mind the president issues. Let the people speak. Let them have a true town hall. All this, uh, and then, of course, over on ABC, you've got, you know, kid gloves when it comes to issues like the scandal that was reported in the New York Post, which, by the way, Twitter and Facebook refused to put up, even though they put all sorts of other garbage up, all sorts of other nonsense, not just political garbage, but, my goodness, stuff from people, leaders from around the world that hate the United States doesn't uh, get checked for accuracy, and, and yet... One of the largest circulation papers in America can't get a story posted uh, with a link on Facebook or Twitter. Of course, my answer was to post it on Facebook and Twitter, the the screenshot of the front page, and just post the the website, nypost.com, and encourage people to pass that around. And people are smart enough, they can just go find the story there. So in some ways, they actually might have done a favor by getting more people to look at the story than might have otherwise looked at in the first place. But a very legitimate scandal. The vice pre- former Vice President Biden saying he had nothing to do with this, didn't know about it. And here you got these emails that clearly show he did. And so either was lying or he just can't remember. Either case, really not a very good deal. You've got people on the Hill going wild about this because it's a further example of big tech out of control, and I think they are. To me, I think the way to counter that, the best way to do it is to push back. If they want to be uh, a publication as opposed to a platform, what I mean by that is if it's just a platform, 
they're not editing, they're not deciding who can go up, who can go on, other than general rules of civility. Um, they're just a platform. Well, then, under Section 230, having liability protection is something that seems fairly reasonable. If, on the other hand, they're going to be a publication where they make decisions about editorial content, it seems completely reasonable and rational for them to think, uh, for the public to believe it and to demand that they have their liability protections removed and they they should be held accountable. And so that's just part of an ongoing series of things. Then you add into the mix uh, the fact that the person who was supposed to be the moderator, someone who was deemed by the Commission on Presidential Debates to somehow be an independent or an unbiased source, a person that we later found out a week or two ago, was uh, once an intern for Joe Biden, worked for Ted Kennedy, has worked for C-SPAN for quite some time, but uh, a guy who who the other day we see is pushed back because of this, and then somehow he doesn't understand that when you're on Twitter, if you there's a difference between sending something, uh, a direct message to someone that you follow on Twitter and they follow you back, having that personal connection versus tweeting something that shows up to anybody who watches your uh, your account. He clearly didn't know the difference, got exposed by reaching out to Scaramucci, uh, the former communications director for the president, who's now on the other side of the equation, and uh, then claims when he gets caught about this that he was somehow hacked, which is remarkable considering he's actually made... Uh, that excuse before was stuff that came up on his Twitter account. I, I don't know about people getting hacked more than once, particularly without drawing attention to it. And of course, now we found out that once the commission on presidential debates stuck their neck out and talked about the FBI and Twitter looking into us, well, it sounds like once you got legal authorities in the mix and all that, maybe it wasn't exactly as he said. And so C-SPAN has... Uh, Suspended and probably in short order will let him go. This is the kind of stuff you just can't make up. This is, I don't know what it is, but 2020 is such a remarkable, bizarre year. It's affecting just about everything in politics, which is precisely why with all all the weight against this president, with all the push against the president and against Republicans in general, with all that the polls are showing, certainly nationally, which, as we know, any of us who follow this means absolutely nothing, What California and New York do to skew national polls means little or nothing when it comes to states like Wisconsin or Arizona or North Carolina or Florida or Michigan or Pennsylvania or Ohio. You have to look at what's happening in those states and what kind of a sample size they have. Those are all things that really matter. But this year, we just don't know. Things couldn't be stranger. That's probably an understatement of the year. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about what lies ahead. Thanks for joining us. We'll be right back. Hey, I'm Scott Walker here on You Can't Recall Courage. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's a weird, a weird year, but as sad as it was, and I obviously wouldn't necessarily align myself ideologically with uh, former Associate Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, but I certainly think she was rightfully so very well regarded, certainly as a big fan of Justice Scalia, I valued the personal friendship that the two of them had, even though their their politics and their judicial philosophy may not be the same. She seemed to be 
a decent person and highly qualified to be on the, the bench, uh, intellectually sound. Uh, again, slightly different interpretation than, than Justice Scalia or people like myself and others uh, that would follow his philosophical approach, judicial philosophy, uh, but, but, but obviously rightfully so, uh, highly regarded and rightfully respected after her passing. I, I think in, the, in a similar regard, which will, I think, become clear and clear over time, that judge and hopefully future justice, Amy Conley Barrett, is just remarkable. The, the woman is brilliant. I think we saw it all throughout this past week, day after day, uh, as she and her family, in many cases, had to sit through hour after hour after hour of brutal and oftentimes ridiculous uh, questioning. She handled it not only brilliant from an intellectual standpoint, but with incredible grace and stature. Uh, certainly, uh, she was impressive to the American people, but I hope more than anything, her children uh, saw uh, uh, saw just what a remarkable woman their mother is. Um, she didn't need to. I, I wouldn't have had any problem with her having taken notes or even bringing notes in, but it was amazing to see when the one question when was implied that somehow she was getting talking points and one of the senators asked to show what was on her pad and there was absolutely nothing. She was, I mean, this is the brilliance. I, I think it actually is a, a great reminder about why it's often good not only to have a, a judge, in her case, uh, not a, a very lengthy time on the 7th District Court of Appeals, but enough to be well-respected there. Diane Sykes is the chief judge, and, and I know she thinks highly of her colleagues, particularly including Judge Barrett. But in the same breath, having been a a professor, a law school professor on the faculty there at Notre Dame in particular, you can see how, what a benefit that is to be able to explain, not just to to serve on the court, not just to have a good clerk, as she once was for Justice Scalia, as well as a clerk on the, on the D.C. Court of Appeals, but to have those years of explaining the law to law school students, to having been originally first in her class at Notre Dame Law School, but then to come back and and to be able to explain it as a member of the faculty, just remarkable. Um, I mean, her recall, her ability to cite facts, her ability to explain things. I wrote uh, this week in the Washington Times uh, about one of the things that struck me was not just how brilliant and remarkable Justice Barrett was, but in contrast to all the hype and hysteria over uh, United States Senator Kamala Harris, who I think two weeks in a row kind of embarrassed herself. You know, for all the hype about what a great debater she was going to be, I, I was really underwhelmed and thought Mike Pence, who's a dear friend and who I, uh, as full disclosure, helped prepare four years ago and then did again this time helped him prepare for the debates, although he's a natural. We didn't really prepare him as much as we helped reveal the great leader that he is and the great command he's got of the issues. But but I, I was underwhelmed by Senator Harris in the debate. I thought she came across as, in many cases, condescending. I, I have to believe part of that was probably hearing from too many voices um, and, and taking too many directions, not just being herself. But I, I just think she missed a number of key opportunities to make points uh, I thought she came across as just spewing out talking points, even at one instance, kind of backing into a, a biographical answer without really getting to the heart of the question uh, from Susan Page, who I, I thought 
of, of the moderators so far and uh, those forthcoming, I thought was actually not bad. Um, but, but particularly this week and the questioning, when you saw a long list of Democrat liberal senators who really, I, I just think, thought they had a gotcha question. They, they just had no idea what they were in for with their binders and binders and not a note in front of Judge Barrett. And she was just able to calmly and rationally uh, put them in their place, uh, explain what the facts were and why they were completely uh, off base. And, and none was more evident than that than Senator Harris. You know, for all the hype about her being a prosecutor and being so good at cross-examination, she had to sit in a room, which apparently wasn't too far from the hearing room, but sit in a room with her binders to ask questions, which most instances were, were basically campaign speeches that eventually got to some sort of a question, ridiculous as it was, in particular on the series of questions she tried to ask about Obamacare and the number of people would be affected uh, by uh, any changes to Obamacare and whether or not she factored that into her decisions. And uh, again, I just thought Judge Barrett was so brilliant walking through that, you know, considerations about the individuals. Uh, you know, obviously, court actions start with individuals, but in terms of a judge or a justice, They've got to look at the facts in the case and how it applies under the Constitution. And what the impact is on people is something the Congress, the legislative body, is responsible for, not not the judicial branch. And I just thought it was so obvious between that and asking her specifics, not only in Obamacare, but uh, issues related to abortion and so forth. You know, she's uh, Senator Harris is an attorney. She's been to law school. Uh, she's been a district attorney. She's been attorney general. She's on the Senate Judiciary Committee. You'd think she should know better. E- either she was just usually uh, just literally using this for raw political points without regard to the law, or she's not as on top of the law as many might make her out to be. In either case, I just thought for all the hype about how great she was going to be and mop up Mike Pence in the debates and all the hype about how she was really going to grill Judge Barrett as a, as because of her reputation as a great attorney who was remarkable at cross-examination. I thought she was didn't live up to the hype even close. In many ways, I thought she was an embarrassment. And uh, it's no wonder we've seen little or nothing out of her uh, without uh, being in front of uh, friendly media outlets or, or occasional video appearances uh, over well, really, since she was selected by Joe Biden to be her running his running mate, so remarkable times in American politics. The good news is long term is short of an absolute meltdown amongst Senate Republicans. Uh, I I think Judge Barrett did nothing but improve her case, which was already strong to begin with. Uh, but I think it'll even make it difficult for some of the Senate Democrats. Uh, people like Senator Manchin and others who, who can occasionally cross party lines, particularly on issues like this. Um, everything she did showed her great command of the issues. Uh, she showed that she's, you know, that that the the rules governing a potential jurists make it clear that they're not to take positions on issues that might be before the court that they're looking to become a part of. Uh, I thought she 
walked through her philosophy very well, was very logical in explaining it. Um, and in the end, while all that would be more than enough, I thought the testimony, I believe, was on Thursday, late Thursday. Well, we'd heard actually all throughout the week from remarkable uh, character witnesses, from uh, the dean at the law school who had previously advocated for um, a justice that was nominated by President Obama, but someone she knew as a colleague who that justice previously was a, a dean at another law school, to now Judge Barrett. I thought that was a great reminder about just talking about excellence to on Thursday in particular hearing a story I'd heard about before, but I had not heard it in her own words. But one of then Professor Barrett's law school students, uh, a woman who was is, not just was, is blind, and who had reluctant with some reluctance, had had applied and got into the law school, but needed accommodations because she's completely blind, not just sight impaired, but completely blind. When she got there, what she had arranged was not there. She got a bunch of bureaucratic pushback, and she went to see then Professor Barrett, thinking that probably she'd just be told that, you know, to look into it, nothing more would happen. Well, what was riveting for me, in fact, I'm not um, not too much... Excuse me. Too masculine to admit that uh, that I got choked up and teared up quite a bit listening to this testimony, but I'd heard the story. <clears throat> but to hear her say it, she talked about how Judge Barrett just sat, then Professor Barrett sat and listened, and let her go on and let her talk about not just the equipment not being there, but but how in this world with all these challenges, how she just felt that things were out of control and really poured out her heart. And what I think is an extraordinary uh, example of what this woman herself said is not only is Judge Barrett brilliant, uh, that her brilliance is only surpassed by her compassion. Then Professor Barrett reached over, put her hand uh, on her shoulder, or her arm, I guess it was, as she explained, and said, this is no longer your problem, this is mine. And within days... Somehow, she never knew exactly how it happened, but she, Judge Barrett had, had ensured that the university got the equipment that this young woman, this law school student, needed to be able to fully participate as a law school student. And today, this woman is the first ever um, blind law clerk for the United States Supreme Court. What a remarkable story. She talked about what a mentor she was and and, and just the compassion that she had. And, and I, I think that was a fitting way to end the testimony we saw this week because this is someone who showed that, you know, for the court, I thought even the way she delivered this, you know, the court is blind. You have to be equal justice under the law. You can't favor people because of emotion, can't invoke feelings in terms of the law. You have to go back and look and say, you know, what was... Not not that what someone put in the notes, not as when someone say after the fact, what did that legislative body actually put into the law, into the statutes? And and the only higher authority than that is, and does it is it upheld by the Constitution? I thought it was clear in her explanation as well as her demeanor, her commitment, her fidelity to, to those concepts 
But at the same time, we also saw that this is not someone without emotion, that, that this is a quite compassionate person, not only in seeing and watching and observing her with her children and her husband, not only hearing from her colleagues, who despite uh, the attempts to uh, undermine her by bringing out a bunch of left-wingers from the University of, Wisconsin, or University of Notre Dame undergraduate program, but, but, but not... A, uh, ignoring that and realizing that of the people actually work with her for law school um, colleagues when she was up for the judicial position three years ago, unanimously supported her, regardless of their political beliefs. That's because those who've served with her have seen her intellect, they've seen her philosophy, they've seen her compassion. This, to me, is in a week that, the last two weeks, really, that's been quite frustrating in terms of all the other chaos uh, with debates and accusations and hype and media interference and Twitter and Facebook censoring and all these other nonsense. Uh, I sleep well this weekend uh, going into the coming days knowing that someone like Judge Barrett is going to be on the United States Supreme Court. Those are the things I remember years ago talking to Rebecca Clayfish, who was a remarkable lieutenant governor during my eight years as governor of Wisconsin, and said instead of getting caught up in the angst over the day-to-day troubles or challenges that might be out there, look at the big picture things. Look at the things that are lasting, that truly matter. And if nothing else, this presidency alone, which has been filled with many remarkable accomplishments, this presidency alone will be worth it to have someone of the caliber of Justice Barrett on the Supreme Court. Till next time, keep fighting for freedom. I'm Scott Walker. Thanks for joining us.